Amen? Did you bring your Bibles? Do you believe anything in it? Okay, just checking. All right, let's make a declaration this morning. Are you ready? This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, I thank you that by your spirit, you're going to speak and move in every one of our hearts and lives. I thank you, Father, today for revelation, clarity, and insight into your word. Father, may the eyes of our understanding be open to see things we have never seen before and to believe in you in a greater measure than we ever have before. In Jesus' name, somebody said... <clears throat> Amen. Now, I will apologize to you because this, well, I won't apologize. I, I shifted gears this morning just a little bit. If you notice, I, we didn't hand out an outline to you this morning because this morning I want you to listen and not read. Because many times when you have an outline, you're reading what I'm going to say, and sometimes I think you get ahead of me. <laughs> That's hard to do because I preach really fast. Amen. But in doing that, uh, this morning, I'm going to present this a little bit differently. And we've been focusing on, ever since Easter, we've been focusing on the theme of it is finished. And we've been narrowing in on the reality of what it means to be in Christ. That we are, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. And last couple weeks, we shared with you two messages in the last two weeks on the power of one. What happens when one person believes who they are in Christ? What can God do through just one person who believes? And then we found out that when we become one and we connect with one more and we connect with one more and we connect with one more, we actually become the body of Christ. But we're actually only one body. It's always through the power of one. God does everything through the power of one. We are one in Christ. Amen? And uh, so united together. But this morning, I'm going to take it to a little different level in presenting to you, if you would. I would like to turn this into a a kind of a courtroom setting this morning. And I'm going to be a defense attorney and present to you a case. And I'm going to make you the jury. But you're going to be both judge and jury because you're going to decide the verdict. and and, And then you're going to pronounce the sentence over your own life in that. But this morning, I'm going to defend the faith. And that's what I really want to do. The faith of the authority of the believer. Because you have more authority. We all have more authority. I just put it like this. We all have more authority in Christ than what we walk in. And too many times today when men and women of God start rising up, you read history. Anytime a man or a woman of God in the power of one of who they are in Christ begins to rise up and really live by the authority of Christ and who they are, there's a lot of opposition that comes against them. And basically, they're put on trial for believing God to that degree. Wait a minute, nobody else is believing God like that. What makes you so special? Amen. In fact, I was reading about George Whitfield and that, that he came back and he was preaching a born-again experience in regeneration, and they kicked him out of the church. And so when they kicked him out of the church, he said, I just think I'll go preach in fields and see what happens. Next thing you know, he's preaching to over 30, 20 to 30,000 people in fields, open air preaching at that time. But he was being persecuted for his faith and believing God at a level what nobody else in his generation was. The church says you can't come here with that message. And many times that's the sad part is that the world's open to hear it. Thousands of people wanted to hear it, but the church said we don't want to hear it. So when it comes to your life as a believer, every time you step out by faith, you're literally going to be put on trial for your faith. 
So this morning, I'm going to plead your case, but I'm going to plead it as, as if I'm presenting a hypothetical believer to you. And actually, if I could give you this, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 says that you have an advocate with God in heaven. An advocate means an attorney. You have a representative in heaven who is the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says if you stumble, if you sin, then he pleads your case. Hebrews 7.25 says this. It says Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you. And as an intercessor, he's, that doesn't mean, he, doesn't mean he's just praying for you. He's declaring his word over you. So you are constantly being represented in heaven before the Father by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. So today I'm going to present to you the facts according to the scriptures as if this is a courtroom and I'm a defense attorney for a Christian who is being accused by the devil. And the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's being accused of walking in his God-given authority and taking back what is rightfully his in Christ. You're going to be the jury. The verdict you decide will not be what happens in the life of a hypothetical believer. It will determine what happens in your life. And those of you watching my live stream this morning, you're watching this video on Facebook, wherever you're watching, or YouTube, and that, you're going to pronounce a verdict over your own life. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, let's get started. From the days of the early church to this present hour of history, history has marked men and women who took to heart who they were in Christ and believed in what God could do by his power working in just one person who would choose to walk by faith. They have been the men and women who were tired of allowing a defeated enemy to walk in victory over their lives and they made the choice to rise up in faith and in the authority that is theirs in Christ and effective change in their own lives as well as in the lives of others. Something truly amazing happens when God's people, the redeemed of the Lord, His purchased possession, who according to Colossians 1.13 and Luke 24.49, have been brought out from under the authority of the kingdom of darkness and have been clothed and anointed with the power of Christ. And according to Mark 16, verses 17 and 18, they have been commissioned to walk in and exercise the authority of his name in the earth. And they begin to believe and refuse to be held captive any longer by the chains of fear, doubt, and unbelief. You see, we're all faced with the same choice. Either to allow a lying devil to continue to steal kill and destroy, or to rise up in our God-given authority in Christ and begin to speak with commanding power to take back what is rightfully ours in Christ. Amen. Hebrews 13.8 says this, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, always the same. Yesterday, today, yes, and forever to the end of the ages. Colossians 2 and verse 10 says this, and you are in him. You are in him. Made full. Having come to fullness of life in Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And reach full spiritual stature. As he is head of all rule and authority of every angelic principality 
and power. So you see, if Jesus is the same forever, so is his power. If Jesus is head of all principality and power, and we are his body, the church and the earth, then we too have the God-given right to exercise his authority over the devil and take back everything he has stolen and which is rightfully ours. In following the commands of Christ and living by faith, if following the commands of Christ and living by faith in the authority of his name is a crime, then I present to you that my client, the believer, is guilty as charged by the devil. If being, if being born again and baptized with the Holy Spirit means we have commanding power over the devil is a crime, then my client, the believer, is guilty as charged. If believing that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you have been given the authority to do the same works as Christ in the earth, as he did according to what he declared in John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, where he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works in these shall he do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit to you, if we were to find the word ask and we would look at its original definition, it doesn't mean just ask as a favor. It means to declare as a command. So it means that when it comes time for the believer to pray, he's not just asking, hoping to receive. He's declaring according to what has already been finished through the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So I submit to you as a jury today that if you hang a prayer request up on a wall, there's a reason there are scriptures that are up there that says that, that don't worry about anything, but let your request be made known to God. I tell you that the things you pray for and ask for, believe that you have received them and you will have them. If you ask the Father anything in my name, he will do it. And so it is a declaration. Asking is not just asking and hoping. Asking is declaring in the authority of the finished work of Christ. And if my client is guilty of anything, he's guilty of being a believer. Amen. So the question comes, if this is a crime against the devil and his religious spirit who work continually to suppress and control the lives of God's people with their lives, then my client, the believer, is guilty as charged. You see, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client is only following the example set by his Lord and Savior, who set the pattern for all of us to follow as believers, which is this. To spend time in prayer and fellowship with the Father. Jesus modeled for us and for my client a pattern of spending time in prayer and fellowship with the Father. And then to rise up from those times of prayer and walk in authority over all the power of the enemy. You see, the purpose of prayer is that in that time of prayer... And fellowship with the Father is that we would crucify and put to death our fears. Amen. 
our doubts and build up our most holy faith. And then come out of that season of prayer in power and authority, speaking and declaring God's word with boldness and faith. See, according to Peter's testimony in Acts chapter 10, he said this of the Lord Jesus Christ, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So that says to us that if we are in Christ and Christ is in us, then we can walk in the same authority and the same power. According to Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, he gave the power, the same power, to the twelve. It says that he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons. And to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Or in other words, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Jesus did not send his disciples out to pray for people. He sent his disciples out to effect a change in their lives and to tell them the kingdom of God had come to them. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, he gave the same authority to the 70 others. Because the accuser will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that that authority only belongs to a specific few. That that authority passed away with the apostles. But Jesus says, I want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding that the authority I'm talking about belongs to anybody who believes in me. So after he gave authority to the twelve, he gave authority to 70 others and he sent them out to do the very same thing. And they came back, and this is what they said. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us through your name. You see, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client, the believer, is convinced that he has every right through faith in the power of God's grace to walk in the same power and authority over all the power of the enemy. Because Jesus said so. In Luke 10 and verse 19, he said to the 70, Behold, I give you power and authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So you see, ladies and gentlemen, my client also believes he has more than just praying power. He believes he has commanding power to take back by force what has been stolen by his false accuser, the devil, by following again the example of his Lord. You see, Jesus commanded things to happen. Jesus did not pray for people, he commanded a change. There's no account of Jesus walking up to anybody and praying for them. Only speaking and commanding a change. He personally set the scriptural precedence for every believer to walk by the same kind of faith and authority. In Mark 1.25 and in Mark 5 verses 6 through 13... Jesus commanded demons to shut up, to depart from those whom they were possessing. The demons even had to ask 
not to be cast into the abyss. And they had to ask for permission to enter pigs. They did everything under the authority of Jesus. In Mark chapter 2, in John 5 and verse 8, Jesus commanded crippled men on beds to rise up and walk. In Mark chapter 2, when Jesus was teaching in the house, they ripped the roof off and let a paralyzed man down into the room before him. Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven. Because people of that day had the same problem as people today. They didn't understand God's authority and operation in the earth. They wondered, who is he to forgive sins? So Jesus said, this I will do so you might know that the Son of Man has authority in the earth. He said, he did not pray, he said to the paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed and walk. In John chapter 5, as he walked by the pool of Bethesda, here is a man sitting there with the multitudes who have been reduced down to a religious philosophy that they had to wait for an angel to trouble the water and somehow push themselves and fight to get in the water first in order to be healed. But Jesus just walked up to one man sitting there by the pool and asked him a question, do you want to be healed? And he said, yeah, Jesus did not say, I will pray and we will see if it's the Lord's will. Jesus did not say, I will get the prayer chain to prayer for you. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not belittling prayer. I'm just putting prayer in the right perspective and commanding back in the church. And so what Jesus said, yeah, pray, but he, this wasn't the time for prayer. This was the time to walk in the authority of what prayer produces in your life. Jesus went from one place of prayer to the next place of prayer, and in between, he walked in authority and worked miracle. The will of God in the life of the believer is for you and I to go from one season of prayer to the next season of prayer in personal fellowship with our Heavenly Father and be reassured of the validity of his word and his promise in our life and the finished work of Christ and come out of that place and walk in the same authority and effect a change in the lives of those we come in contact with and so Jesus said to the man by the pool of Bethesda do you want to be healed and the poor man because of religious doctrine and teaching of his day his only answers ladies and gentlemen was to say I have no man to put me in the pool so Jesus just said forget the pool rise take up your bed and walk Jesus also commanded the sea to be calm and at peace when the disciples thought they were going to perish. In Mark chapter 4, as they were crossing over the sea, the disciples are concerned because the boat is filling with water. So they awakened Jesus and said, Master, don't you care that we perish? And he just did not call a prayer meeting. He, said, he didn't say, let's pray and see if God will stop the storm. He didn't say, let's pray and see if God will intervene on our behalf. He just woke up and he walked to the bow of the ship and he said, peace be still. And the sea calmed. And then he turned to his disciples and he said, how is it that you have so little faith. 
You see, Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus. And he did not pray. When he came to the tomb of Lazarus, this is what he said. He said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. What he said is, Father, I thank you, I have already prayed. And you heard me when I prayed. In fact, he said this, I thank you that you hear me always. And this is what he said, I'm only saying, that I'm only having this conversation with you right now because of the people who are here. I'm only conversing with you right now for the people's sake so they know that what is happening is coming out of a season with prayer with you. Amen. What's about to happen happened already in prayer. Amen. So turning to the tomb, he didn't say, Father, I ask you if it be your will. Could you please raise Lazarus from the dead? He didn't speak great lofty words. He didn't spend a lot of time. It wasn't a three-hour prayer meeting. They didn't go all night. It wasn't a candle vigil. He said three words. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he said it with authority and commanding power. And Lazarus came forth. Ladies and gentlemen, I know the religious argument of the accuser that he will present today is to tell us that we are only to pray and wait patiently for God's answer in due time. But the scriptural and legal precedents set forth by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is to pray and then to walk in the authority that comes through prayer. Taking and exercising commanding authority over the devils and his lies. Now today we've been conditioned. We live in a society, ladies and gentlemen, that's been conditioned. That the church has no authority. That the believer has no power. The best we can do is pray and wait. But that is not the scriptural precedence of heaven or of God's word. And we find out that the disciples actually began to believe this. After the resurrection and after the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We find Peter and John now going up to the temple and something has changed in their life. They're no longer feeble disciples. They're, they're, they're no longer unstable in their faith. The eyes of their understanding have been enlightened. And now they're going up to the temple and they're passing by a man that they have passed by many times before. But now they are no longer doubter. They're no longer wavering back and forth. They are now believers. So hear the account. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called beautiful to ask alms from those who entered the temple who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him with John Peter said look at us then Peter said Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. Notice Peter didn't say, hey, 
We're going to be praying for you. This is so sad. We have great compassion for you. We're going to pray to see if God will do something for you. Maybe, perhaps, we could move heaven to earth and get God to move on your behalf. He didn't say anything that most people would say in that situation. He didn't say, this is so sad. I'm so sorry. He did not have that kind of compassion. He looked at the man and the authority of Christ on the inside of him. He said, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus rise up and walk and with commanding power and authority he spoke to that man and it says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength so he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple walking and praising leaping and praising God then they that knew him knew that it was him who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Here another account in Peter's life. It's in Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 42. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and she died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room, and since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping and mourning, showing the tunic and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out. Peter remembered, I've been in this situation before. And the last time I was in this situation was with Jesus at Jairus' house. And when Jesus came into the house... He did one thing. He put the doubters and the mourners out. Peter put them all out and listened. And knelt down and prayed. Yeah, he prayed. He knelt down and he prayed. But then rising from prayer, he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. Not praying over the body, but praying. And as I said earlier, prayer is a place where you crucify your fear, your doubt, and your unbelief. And you come out anointed with the authority and the power of God. Peter, rising from prayer, said to the body, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Amen. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I know the accuser will say this is arrogance, spiritual pride, to believe that a person today can walk in the power and authority of Christ like that. He will bring up his standard argument that has won him every case. 
and tell us those days are gone, passed away. That the best we can do is just pray and hold out till the end. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the accuser is a liar. He's a liar. Always has been, always will be. And his number one goal is to steal everything he can from you. To strip you of the truth of who you are in Christ. Jesus said this of him in John 8, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Speaking to the religious leaders of his day. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. My client chooses to believe this. He chooses to believe the word of God over every lie of the accuser. He chooses to believe that he is a new creation in Christ. He chooses to believe that he is saved by grace. Empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That he can walk by faith and not by sight. That he can lay hands on the sick. That he can cast out devil. That he will speak with new tongue. And if he eats any deadly thing, it will not harm him. He chooses to believe that his past is forgiven. His future is secured. And he is anointed to take the gospel of truth. The good news to his generation. To set captives free. From the, with, with the commanding power of faith in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I submit to you that my client is guilty as charged of being a believer and not a doubter. And that he refuses to live being held captive any longer by the oppressing lies of the accuser. He's going to rise up in faith and take back that which the devil has stolen in Jesus' name. The worship team comes back. Here's the truth. The truth is this. Every person who accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior and is born again. Has the God-given right and authority in Christ. To exercise commanding power. Over all the lies. Of the devil. Every believer. Now you, ladies and gentlemen, are only left with one question to answer. What verdict will be rendered over your life? Believer? The truth is, every day our faith is on trial in heaven. The accuser on one side. Your advocate and the intercessor on the other. They stand before God and plead their case. One against you, one for you. Every time you step out in faith to believe God,
you go on trial in heaven. Every time you step out to believe God in faith, you go on trial in your own heart and in your own mind. Because the enemy comes and accuses you. Who do you think you are to believe God? Who do you think you are? I know what you've been thinking. I've heard what you've been saying. I saw that last thing you did. I saw that last thing you looked at. I saw that last thing you thought about. I heard that last thing you said. Who do you think you are to believe that God would give you commanding authority over me? Who do you think you are to be able to resist me? And you need to learn to defend yourself the same way Jesus defends you. Because ladies and gentlemen, I laid out for you this morning the scriptural precedence for your authority. But Jesus doesn't lay out a litany of precedence when he defends you in heaven. He defends you with three words. His defense every time on your behalf is only three words. The devil makes his accusation. And Jesus just stands up. Father, may I speak? Or if I could put it to you in a more legal courtroom setting. The devil makes his accusation. And Jesus raises his hand and says, Father, I object. And the father says, son, on what basis do you object? And he says, on the basis of three words. It is finished. And the father's answer is always the same. Sustained. Try again. The devil brings up another accusation. Your intercessor raises his hand. Father, I object. On what basis? On the basis of three words. It is finished. When the devil tells you you have cancer, you will never be healed. When the devil tells you your children will never be saved. When the devil tells you it's not going to happen, it's not going to turn out. When the devil tells you you're foolish to keep believing, you need to know that you have an intercessor and an advocate in heaven who is standing up on your behalf and is saying, Father, I object. And he's declaring on what basis? And he says, I'm declaring it on the basis of it is finished. Everything they need, everything they're up against has already been completed, has already been sealed for them, and it's sealed in my blood. And heaven will never overrule the blood of your Savior. And if you ever make the choice, I am a believer and not a doubter. And I don't care if I am put on trial, if I am made fun of. I don't care if I'm called a hyper-faith believer. I don't care if I'm being labeled as being a part of a cult. I don't care if I'm being labeled as being too too, uh, spiritually proud or arrogant. I do not care because the Bible says I am more than a conqueror. That I have power over all the power of the enemy. That I am able to tread upon serpents and scorpions. That no matter what is coming 
against me. God will always make a way through. I refuse to live under and not be over. I refuse to be the tail when God has made me the head because Jesus has already declared, it is finished. Well, if that's all you got, that's the best I got. Glory to God. tell you the problem. You don't believe it. You don't believe it. You're not convinced yet. We have made the choice to accept defeat. And religion has indoctrinated us to accept defeat. And we're afraid to step out in commanding power and authority. So we pray unscriptural prayers. We say unbiblical things. And we make them sound real lofty. I encourage you to go back and read the book of Job. The book of Job is filled with the most spiritual, religious hyperbole that you can read. Of three men sharing their illustrious, verbose, and and just elaborate concepts about God. And at the end of the book of Job, God literally says this, not one of those idiots said anything right about me. Only Job spoke what was right. And here's what you have to understand. There will be times when you do not understand what's going on. Job had no idea what was going on. And this is what you and I forget. You are caught between a war between heaven and hell. You are living in the middle of an eternal battle between heaven and hell. And in the middle of that battle, God has equipped you with weapons of warfare and spiritual armor and the anointing and the authority of His Spirit and His Word to do battle and to win in every situation. But I have to refuse to lose. I have to refuse to lose. I have to choose to rise up and be an overcomer. And no longer put up with the devil who is a defeated foe. See, I'm like this. If Christianity, I said this a couple weeks ago. If Christianity is just making the choice to quit doing some stupid stuff, I could do that without getting saved. And I could have done that without Jesus dying on the cross. But Christianity is more than just not doing dumb things any longer. Christianity is being brought back into a living relationship with our Heavenly Father. God has reconciled us back into relationship with Him. And this is what God is doing. He's living through us and He's calling us to walk in that authority and display to the world that the world doesn't have to live under the bondage and the oppression of the devil any longer. There's an answer to the oppression of this world and the name is Jesus. Amen. The world just needs to see somebody walking as Christ in the earth. Are you with me? So this morning, ladies and gentlemen, you're left with the verdict over your own life. In fact, I'll present you like this. Every time the gospel is preached, you really are judge and jury over your own life. Because all the preacher does is present the facts. You determine how you will receive it, how you will judge it, and how you will apply it every time 
We don't live it for you. We can't make it happen for you. We can just help you to make the right choice, to encourage you to make the right choice. So if you're ready today to pass a verdict over your own life and to declare, I'm done. How about you? Every now and then I get mad. I mean, I still like to fight myself. In fact, I'll meet any of you want to at the bicycle rack after school today. Amen. But this is what's happened. Listen, church. We've been stripped of our fight. We've been told to be tolerant, to accept, not to judge, not to criticize, to walk in love, to to do all these things that get us to back up, to get us to become complacent, to accept. And then because religion doesn't like to accept the responsibility of authority. There's a responsibility that comes with authority. We're supposed to walk in, supposed to exercise. But it's easier to come up with religious excuses for not walking in authority. And that's really a lot of our doctrine is today. It's a religious excuse to fail. That's why we have things. Oh, that passed away. That, that, that's why we have a, a cessation that things ceased. They're cessationists. That, that, that passed away. That's not for this age talking about the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit I like what I read what one preacher said and I'm studying in these last few months over this he said most of the church we operate in tongues interpretation prophecy because those are three basic levels that go with being baptized in the Holy Spirit but to walk away in the other six gifts of the Holy Spirit there's nine gifts of the Spirit and we predominantly major in the minors why because it takes more commitment and authority and sacrifice to walk in gifts of healing, miracles, faith, discerning of spirits, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. That takes a greater level of commitment to walk in a higher level of authority. Are you doing all right? But if it ever comes to a place where you say, hey, you know what? I'm tired of being whooped. I'm tired of a defeated enemy having authority over my life. I'm going to rise up and declare a verdict over my own life. I'm going to agree with heaven. And I'm going to declare it is finished. From this day on, I'm going to be a believer, not a doubter. Devil, bring it. Because I'm ready for the fight. Because you are already defeated. Amen? If you're ready today to declare a victory verdict over your life, stand to your feet right now. You say, well, pastor, how does that work? Let me help you this morning. When you go into your time of prayer, quit going in and making it a complaint section to God complaining about everything he hasn't done for you so far wondering if he's ever going to move for you the next time you come up against a situation see what God says to me he says remind me of my word something will change when you go into your time of prayer and instead of complaining you start declaring 
and you start declaring, Father, I agree with your word today. I'm up against a situation and I can't see any way out. Father, and everything in the natural, this looks impossible. But I want you to know today, I'm standing on your word because Jesus, you said, when it is impossible with men, it is possible with God. And you said you would cause all things to work together for my good. So Father, I thank you right now. You are working behind the scene, turning everything around, causing everything to work together for my good. Father, you said no weapon formed against me would prosper. And if there ever was a tongue that would rise up against me in judgment, I'm able to condemn it because that's my heritage as a child of God. And you begin to speak and you begin to declare the word of God. And you might be saying today, well, pastor, I don't know the word like you. You got the same Bible I got. You make the same confession every week. If you don't own the word, want to open up one of those 12 volumes you have at home and begin to read it. The only reason you can't speak the word is because you haven't sown the word into your heart. And so when you come up against a situation, we have been conditioned to declare our problem instead of declaring our answer. So when I say, God, I'm going to speak, I'm going to declare your word. I am the healed of the Lord. Listen to me, church. God never speaks in maybe. God always speaks in definite, definitive terms. He always declares what is done and what he is going to do. Everything in your word in the Bible tells you what God has already done, and it declares to you what he's going to do. There is not one maybe in your Bible. There is not one might be in the promises of God. God says, if you do this, I will do this. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And listen to me, this is what prayer is. You get in that place of prayer and you crucify your doubt. If you come out still wondering if God is, you better go back in. God, I'm not coming out until I know that I know that I know. You have heard me and you are going to answer me. You walk out and you say the same thing that Jesus said. Father, I thank you. You have heard me. And then you come out and you, listen to what Jesus said. If you had, this is why he said it. If you had faith, then you would say to the mountain. He did not say you would pray about the mountain. He said you would say to the mountain, be removed, and listen to this, and it would obey you. Raise your hand. Father, today I declare over your people a breakthrough. In the name of Jesus. Devil, I declare your lie is exposed today. Following the leading of the Holy Spirit, to present this as a case and to put the believer on trial. Father, I pray today that the eyes of the understanding of your people would be open. That they would come to believe in their hearts who they are in Christ. That the day they confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God, you remove them out from under the power of darkness. And Father, they are your children. We have sung about it today. We are children of God. We've been adopted by you, called by you. Your mercy has saved us. We've been renewed by you. And so, Father, we thank you today. And I declare it over your people today that they are the redeemed of the Lord. 
And I thank you every lie and every hindrance, every seed of doubt that's been sown in their heart. I speak to those roots. I speak to anything that's taken root in their life. And I command it to be uprooted now in Jesus' name. God, I break every religious doctrine and tendency that causes your word to be made of no effect in their heart and in their mind and in their life. And God, I release the piercing power of your word. You said your word is quick. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I thank you, Father, today that there is a cutting that is taking place in their spirit right now. And you're discerning the thoughts and the intents of their heart. And any place where there's doubt, I thank you that's being replaced by faith this morning in Jesus' name. Now, Father, we're going to declare and we want heaven and hell to hear us this morning. We are going to declare a verdict over our lives in agreement with our risen Lord and Savior. We have only three words to say, but we only need three words because they are the three words that change heaven and earth for all of eternity. So today we declare, come on, say it with me. It is finished. Come on, give God a praise in the house today. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah.